Welcome to Shooting Bumpets, the only Star Wars D6 podcast in the galaxy. And now your host, Daniel and Don. Welcome back to Shooting Bumpets. I'm Daniel. I'm Don. And we are back yet again to bring you whatever we can find in the world of Star Wars D6. Nah, uh, not necessarily true. We're winging it. Well, yeah, pretty much, because uh, we can't seem to organize anymore. I blame well, me. Yep, it's it's all Daniel's fault. See, see, he even agrees. I do. So but anyway. My, well, it comes from my viewpoint of not seeing much in the way of... Uh, organized content coming out but you know i see people still producing things and as long as you people continue to give us things to talk about we're going to talk about the ronto buffet enrique Bertrand gave us a quick chart for intimidation now this chart's designed from the player's perspective meaning how he wrote it out the effects are listed as belonging to pcs but we as GMs, we can use this for our NPCs as well. Now, as usual, it's intimidation is an imposed role using willpower, a knowledge-based skill and not really used by characters. And just like with damage, you can calculate how much the character missed the role by and we compare it to this chart. Now, this chart is broken down into multiples of five points and it tops out at 26 and then just you assume anything past 26 beyond. Now, in the presence of the Intimidator, until the end of the scene, the character will be minus one die to all skill checks for every five-point increment they miss the opposed roll by. Uh, at one to five, uh, if in combat, you can take an action to compose yourself. Now, this will immediately remove the negative modifier. Don found this strange. Well, yeah, I mean, um, there are, let's see, you've got one to five, six to ten, fifteen, Sorry, 1 to 5, 6 to 10, 11 to 15, 16 to 20, 21 to 25, and then 26 plus. And that's six levels, all right? Mm-hmm. It starts out at um, easy and progresses through heroic, which is the last one. So you've got easy, very, I'm sorry, yeah, easy, moderate, difficult, very difficult, and then heroic. That's five levels. Mm-hmm. So at, uh, and that stops at 20, 21 through 25, but strangely, it doesn't it doesn't allow you um, anything after after that. If it's twenty six plus, you get no roll at all. I mean, not even a heroic plus. I don't know. I just I mean, I guess if 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 you get that intimidated by somebody, I mean, but I mean, also by the same token, it's minus one D for every level. So at that point, you're already at minus five D. You're not going to be doing much of anything. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, that's- that's a serious person. You're talking Darth Vader level. <laughs> exactly from uh, Rogue, Rogue yes. One. Yeah. <laughs> run, run! <laughs> All right. And the other thing is that I thought was really weird about that was that um, I guess starting at the next level, level two, starting six to ten, while outside of combat, he makes this point that a player may spend a character point to immediately remove the negative modifier. Uh, and this option begins, like I said, at 6 through 10 and progresses all the way through 26 plus 1, all right? So even even though you may not, at 26 plus, you're not, you can't make a roll to uh, overcome your being intimidated, but you can spend a character point. And again, those, again, it's starting at the second tier, working its way through the next five levels, it's five points. So at 26 plus, you would have to spend 
five character points to um, get rid of that intimidation. And I like the basic idea of the chart, and I think it's really a great place to start, but I think it needs a little bit more polish. I mean, I, I like the idea of uh, spending those points, but what if somebody doesn't have that many points, but they want to spend some of their character points to take away some of those modifiers? So, for example, for every one D, I'm sorry, for every one character point the person spends, they can remove one D of penalty. Okay, that sounds good. I think he's already got the idea by using the character points to offset. But imagine, you know, the 26 above, you know, just like we said, that's like dark Vader level. That's like pooping your pants. That's like that's like a, a Wookiee screaming in your face. So there's not and you got much. and you got it coming. Yeah, you're not you're <laughs> not going to have much real chance against it. So right, but then, then why why mix it up then and throw in a character point uh, to be able to remove it completely? Well, you get the choice if you can't make the roll, spend the character points. I can see it either way, but uh, I, another thing I think that the the chart kind of suffers from because it just goes mm -hmm. one to five, six to ten, and so on and so forth. But um, I guess some of the things are kind of confusing. Okay, like at one to five. Um, allowing the character to take an action to shake off the intimidation. I think that's good, but no other level is that something that's taken into account. So, I mean, it's almost like at the beginning level, which you could, you know, make it the equivalent of stun, you can automatically, you can shake it off. But after mm -hmm. that, you, you, you can't really, I, I don't know, I find it a bit confusing. But anyways, even though there's a distinction between the, um, even though there's a distinction made of being outside of combat and rolling willpower against a set difficulty, I would recommend naming the levels, all right? Like the failure, like one to five would be, they make me uncomfortable. Six to 10, uh-oh, 11 through 15, don't look at me, don't look at me. 16 through 20, they're looking into my soul. 21 through 25, the horror, and 26, they have my soul. Something like that. I mean, because then, I mean, I mean, I know that's kind of silly, but I mean, if you give at least a name to the levels, it kind of gives your players an automatic idea of how intimidated they're all, yep. how intimidated they are. But basically, all in all, I think Enrique did a really good job of at least fleshing out something. And it'd be interesting to see this, I mean, taken beyond just the speculative mechanic of it and actually seeing it, seeing it used in a game. So pretty much what I thought. No, I think I'm going to take another look at it too, because this gives an opportunity for me to test out some home rule consoles in the upcoming campaign. Uh, skipping random. And yeah, until we get our hands on a copy of his stuff to actually play for it. Yeah, I uh, I will try and contact him again about that. So, Enrique uh, Bertram again posted another NPC he plans to use in a future game set between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, maybe. Uh, looks like he's also got plans on having it have a Star Wars 1313 feel. I I I this is one of the greatest disappointments when they shuttered Lucas. Lucas Arts, because that game, I, I, I was 
I wanted to play it. Finally, I did as well. Finally, something that didn't have Jedi in it. It was in Coruscant, the Undercity. I was interested in it based solely upon the art or the preliminary art that was coming out. Mm-hmm. And it looked, I'm, I like first person games and stuff like that. Some of this, like, I'm not really into flying spaceships. I mean, perhaps back in the 80s and early 90s when I, I got my fill of X-Wing and TIE Fighter and Deluxe mm-hmm. Pack and Wing Commander and just ad nauseum. Maybe I've just had enough of that, but I, I kind of prefer the first person, first shooter action kind of things. Not like from the MMO standpoint, but actually, you know, to me, a little more immersion. I, I don't have to go over and look for people with little golden triangles above their heads and accept quests and go off and mine rocks and collect freaking bird clipping. Yeah, that sort of thing. Well, the thing that I found really interesting about Enrique, I mean, he's posted a couple of uh, ideas for some of the stuff that he is he's playing for his game. Like, for example, there's Krellick, a former military man and an engineer turned vigilante uh, who is driven by the death of his pregnant wife, um, a civilian casualty of a skirmish that took place during the Clone Wars. So he sort of ties sort of a, a character that's been out there for about 20 years collecting experience. And uh, at the beginning, or in his origin at least, as part of his origin, he uses his engineering background and crafts himself some armor, a new identity, and uh, becomes a bounty hunter slash vigilante. So that now in the midst of civil war engulfing the galaxy, the, the, I guess you would call it Galactic Civil War II, Krellick offers up his services to the highest bidder as long as the customer adheres to his strict moral code of no women, no children, which ties back into how he lost his family. The servo motors on his metallic legs uh, make a very distinct sound as they move, and this prevents him from being able to sneak up on his prey or on you know, who he's trying to bag. And the quote that he has is really interesting because it says, I know you can hear me. It's okay. I want you to know I'm coming, which I think is just totally badass. Yeah. <laughs> I like this character. Now, it is. It's, it's really cool. He, he posted, you know, unlike Krellick, he posted basic information for his other uh, three NPCs. Uh, we've got Goloso the Hut. He's massively sized, runs a spice in, in a brothel in the bowels of the Undercity of Nochada. He knows everyone and everything that passes through the smuggler's moon. Now, he has no desire to rule a corner of the empire. He's quite content sitting back and pulling strings in the background as he serves both the corners wealthy clients with every perverse desire they have. Lozo is blind from years of heavy spice use and is about three times the size of a normal hut due to a rare genetic condition. Now, can you imagine a, a rare genetic condition that causes a hut to get larger? He refers to Jabba the Hut as the little lord of the desert and he has a complicated relationship. I like this character for a couple of different things. I mean, Enrique does a really good job of just adding little gems, I think, into his character write-ups. For example, um, blind from years of spice addiction. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like that idea. The idea of a, uh, of a hut twice the normal size. I mean, what does he look like, a cheese curl? <laughs> I mean, you know, is he, is he like a green cheese puff? I mean, just... <laughs> 
do people like you know does he get mistaken for a star wars version of a giant pinata i mean they go in there anyways this this next one is awesome it, to me coif he's a one-eyed gungan with a thirst for violence he's Galosa's major dome on confidence he's ruthless calculating and serves his master with complete devotion and diligence Galosa found Coif fighting for money in the popular death fighting clubs in the underbelly of the city, and after making a lot of credits off him, took him in as his aide. Now, a Gungan who is violent. So basically, when he found this guy, he's in a he's in a uh, in a pit, a death pit, fighting other people. So I just see for some reason I just got this this catfish looking Gungan walking around going, "Misa gonna f you up." I don't know. I just, but it's great. And then lastly, uh, PRV2 is a reprogrammed Imperial probe droid built from added spare parts in the face of a protocol droid. PRV2 looks more like the design of a mad scientist than an assembly mine. <laughs> probe droid in the face of a protocol droid. He serves as Galosa's eyes and ears in the city and represents his master well. Always mindful of what happened to Galosa's previous droid, PRV-1. One of PRV-2's main tasks is cleaning his master's eyes from the slime and secretion that covers him due to the years of heavy spice usage. Ooh, I got this visual of this giant fat hut face with like these, just these black holes where his eyes have just like, They've been removed for whatever reason, and because of the spice addiction, he can't get cyber eyes. And so they've just like these just like ghostly sockets, you know, weeping green and yellow crap out of there. And there's this droid over there with a little, I don't know, like chamois, a <laughs> chamois cleaning it off. <laughs> just say it. I mean, I got it. But you know, hey, you know, Enrique's got some great ideas. And I mm-hmm. think that this is something that people can kind of take away from what he's been doing. He hasn't been, uh, now he posted four different NPCs, only one of which he actually put stats up for. And that is fantastic. That's good. I mean, basically you don't really need all the stats. I mean, in many cases it makes more sense to have a brief capsule about the character or characters you're going to have in a game. And then just write down a few of their main skills that may relate directly to how the characters and your players are going to interact with it. And if you need to, you can always add additional skills on the fly or add them to your, um, add them to the character if it's a reoccurring character. So I'm a big one on, on, on whenever somebody throws up like an idea of a character and stuff like this, I'm just, I can drop that into any of my games. Oh, absolutely. So what's this about Gordon doing a, 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 some fiction based upon Rebel Breakout? Yes, I, Gordon Bissell. I can't do an Irish accent. But anyways, I tried, friend. Anyway, Gordon Bissell um, is a guy from Ireland, Scotland. I think closer to Scotland. And uh, he is in my Sunday game. And I didn't realize that he had posted to the G Plus community um, a link to his blog of uh, a short story based upon the adventure he ran for his group, which is, um, he ran the WEG scenario Rebel Breakout. Mm. And so I haven't had a, a great deal. I mean, I've read through it. It's 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 an okay read. I mean, it's, it's enjoyable. And you can actually see, you can actually visualize 
certain things that his characters did, and, and he kind of captures it in, in drawing it like that. And uh, speaking of good people out there, also Dustin Hawk, uh, who continues to post information along with some really great art that he has uh, had created for his father. I get what is father and son of Sons Infinity's campaign, which I'm really looking forward to when he finally gets all that stuff together. But he threw up absolutely great art. I think um, Adam Coppa did it. But mm-hmm. the, yeah, the two that he posted up were the Corellian Engineering Corporation CR95 Corvette and the uh, Rendelli Star Drive Victory 3 class Star Destroyer. And um, interesting stuff, man. I, I Keep it coming, buddy. Keep it coming. Absolutely. You know, it's good to see. The, the Victory class is one of my favorite capital ships because it was small enough and actually based upon the, or, well, I mean, technically it came before the uh, Emperor. This is uh, the, the cruisers from Clone Wars, the, the like Star Destroyers. Which ones? Yeah, the ships that they, the, uh, the, from the Clone Wars that look like what the Star Destroyers. Oh, Venators. Thank you, Venators. Uh, the, the victories were actually based upon the Venator base, according to Canada. And uh, it is the only capital ship out of the Empire that it can actually go atmospheric and bombard the planet. So I like to see the, the return of victory. I don't know. I mean, with new cannon, you have um, Star Destroyers that can now go into atmospheres. I saw, I saw that. I saw yeah, that. so I mean, that's something I've actually been trying to address in write-ups for starships and stuff of that nature because it's one of those things where I think that an elaboration on the space speed and the atmosphere speed um, are not, I mean, they're not one-to-one. For example, I believe a Star Destroyer has like a speed of like, uh, I'm sorry, a space of like seven which actually, if they if they can't if they took that into an atmosphere and did a direct conversion of that is like, like seven eight hundred kilometers an hour or something like that. I mean, it's something some huge number. Yet I would think that number one, the ships are not aerodynamically aerodynamically, you know, designed to fly in air. So a lot of this is going to be handled by um, large repulsor motors, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even some of the. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on it. Tractor beams. Only set them in reverse. I'm not really sure, but the, the thing is you never see a capital ship moving really, really fast in an atmosphere. So that lends me to think that perhaps inside an atmosphere, they don't have a direct correlation between how fast they can go in space and how fast they can go inside an atmosphere. I think that's going to take some some effort on the game masters to kind of come up with uh, what they think is appropriate. So we've got Mark Hall. He gave some mechanics, and it, this is all based on D6, and he posted it on his uh, blog, The Cranky Gamer. Now, these mechanics are for social combat. They're loosely inspired by social conflict rules for Savage Worlds. It's a lot like Enrique's intimidation mechanics, but it takes into account not just intimidation, but all the social communication skills, con and persuasion. In step one, social action is declared, and the GM sets a amount of time how many rolls will be required. And then each side picks the most appropriate skill for the social conflict and roll. Lastly, the difference is compared to the results table. 
Now, if it's a one to three, character is shaken. They don't change their opinion. They're more likely to during the conversation. Shaken penalties will continue until after the next exchange, no matter how long those exchanges are. If the conversation ends there, nobody changes their position. Now, Shaken comes from Savage Worlds. It's uh, later on in the article he explains that Shaken is mechanically the same as Stun, but it doesn't stack and it doesn't add to the total time, number of times the character can be stunned before going unconscious. Of course, we know that in D6, that's the number in front of the Dean screen. So. 2D in strength means you can be stunned twice and knocked out. Now, on a 4 to 8, the character is doubtful and they remove a die from their walls until they recover. Second doubtful result results in someone being deeply doubtful, with a 2 die being removed from the walls. A doubtful or deeply doubtful person will acquiesce, but provide the minimum support possible. Information given may be partially true. Partially true. They may allow the favor, but report it to the superior, or they might give a little on the price. And then 9 to 12, the character is convinced. They'll provide the favor requested, more or less, but may have conditions or ask for favors in return. Lastly, 13 above difference, the character is sure. He provides the support requested, perhaps a bit more, depending upon how the interaction goes, and in my opinion, how the role play would work. Now, the effects of social conflict, except for Shaken, has at least one scene. Therefore, after willpower rules are made daily against the conviction level, four if doubtful, six if deeply, nine if convinced, and thirteen if sure. That this role is successful, the character improves by one step. So, if example, uh, if they're deeply doubtful and they succeed by one step, they're back down to doubtful, and if they're doubtful, they'll they're out of it anyway. Uh, if the role fails, there's no complication, they don't improve. If the role fails and there's a complication, then they worsen by one step. Convinced characters become sure, doubtful characters become deeply doubtful, and so on. And successful complication causes the penalties to last an additional day and then improve. Uh, force powers of emptiness and rage can be used to accelerate recovery from social conflict. Every four hours of meditation in these powers, a willpower and control rule may be made towards recovery. So, decks last for more than a scene, and the player makes a willpower roll daily versus the conviction level. That's a lot of information. That is a lot of information. So, if I understand uh, it correctly, the effects last for more than for for the entire scene or longer. Mm-hmm. The player makes a willpower roll daily versus the conviction level. Or they can use fourth powers of emptiness and rage. Okay. And, and it takes four hours of meditation. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you can also use uh, persuasion and investigation, kind of like first aid, and it has similar ridiculous. It has similar restrictions. Uh, you use it on yourself, it inflicts a one die penalty. When you do more than one attempt per day, it increases the difficulty by a step, of course, or category or difficulty level. Of course, you have time. You have to access. Of course, you have to have access to information to perform the investigation. So, in other words, if someone's trying to convince you that something is true, you have to have evidence in order to be able to use investigation. So, it's starting to get a little complicated. 
Yeah, so basically if you have motivational tapes, crystals, or a chakra alignment, everything works. <laughs> right? Something like that. Yeah. All right. Well, down at the very bottom of that article, there is one other thing that I kind of liked, and it was, and again, it's a holdover from Savage Worlds, um, the taunt skill. Mm -hmm. Um, What they what they throw or what he suggests is calling it combat intimidation, and combat intimidation is a single action. You may only do it at point blank or short range. I'm not really quite sure what the point blank is. Maybe that's like a drill sergeant yelling in someone's face or something like that. I don't know about you. If I'm standing at point blank range with a knife or something like that, I I don't know. Maybe maybe the intimidation will work. Anyways, um, the aggressor rules intimidation versus the willpower of as many targets as he has dice and intimidation. So... Essentially, someone if someone had 11D in intimidation, they're like Vader, he could intimidate 11 people per action with a 2D. Or I'm sorry, with a 2D intimidation, you could intimidate uh, two people. Now, where it starts falling apart for me is that you may attempt to intimidate more people at once. All right. And this this incurs a map penalty. And I'm all on board with that. But with, for example, it's a it's a multiple equal to however many uh, dice you have in intimidation. So we go back to the original idea. If a person had 11 D, that means that they could go off and, and intimidate 11 people with no map. They could go off and intimidate 12 to 22 people all at once. All right. And that would be a minus one map or a minus one D or they could do 23 through 33. Okay. Multiple, you know, that multiple times three at a minus two map. So basically if facing a group, the entire group must be accounted for, but the intimidation, again, it can be combined with other actions, but I mean, this is for me, that's, that's a lot of people. If you got like 30 people standing around, I don't care how big a, you know, bad boy you think you are. Someone's gonna someone's gonna step up. I mean, I would think, right? I agree. Uh, you know, but look at and again. We, we keep falling back to this example of uh, BA Vader from Rogue One. Yeah, they tried to stand their ground against him, so we started flinging rebel troopers about like ragdolls. Then they started running. You know what I really like about that scene? I mean, I know that we mentioned it earlier. And I mean, it just, it's such a great scene. I mean, it, it really, it has a lot of raw emotion and it has a lot of scary stuff going on, but it also really kind of sets up for why Vader is a total jerk at the beginning of a new hope. Cause it never really made sense. I mean, he gets on board and he grabs the captain and instead of getting like all the information he can out of this guy or use him as a hostage, he just snaps his neck and just throws him across the room. And then they're like, Oh, mm-hmm. turn this ship apart. You know, the counselor is on board. You know, find them, tear the ship apart. And so he finds the counselor. And, of course, the counselor essentially, I mean, seeing as there's nothing coming before it, when you originally saw it, she's like, hey, I'm giving you reasonable explanations. And he's just like, take her away. You know, and you never understand why this guy is just, you know, land sharking her. Right. (laughs) But now that you have the end of Rogue One, 
you know, Vader is standing in 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 the shuttle or the the, the Star Destroyer, looking at the Tantive take off. I mean, he can see the ship. He knows what the ship is. They chase it and they catch it. And supposedly, if I understand correctly, a new hope takes place ten minutes after the close of Rogue One. So ten minutes after he sees them take off, they capture the ship, pull it up in the docking bay, and at that point he's just like the captain, pull his head off, drink his blood, throw the body across the room. Leia shows up and she just bull face lies to him. I mean, she's just nope, 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 wasn't me. Sorry, not not. She holds up her hand. Not the ship you're looking for. Not the not the planets of the Death Star you're looking for. No, that wasn't me. And of course, he flips his wig. And now it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Just he was, he was wow. That was awesome. I, I tell you what, the, the two scenes out of that, or the two little uh, crops out of that that I like the best is uh, at the very beginning. Well, actually, I take it back. It's three. When you hear his voice, you know, the breathing. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. the deep bass of that that uh, red lightsaber comes up, and he's just got that eerie red light behind him or in front of him, just kind of cascading back, throwing shadows. I love that. I love when he's walking forward. You see him reach forward and put a uh, rebel trooper up on the roof, and he keeps walking. But the scene immediately after that, that's a, that's a from the back shot. You're like looking over his shoulder. You see him put the guy on the on the on the ceiling. He continues forward. Rebel rebel uh, crew members are freaking out. And then there's a, a shot from the front looking back at Vader, and you see him just swing over, just basically swing over his shoulder backwards and cut the guy in two. Mm-hmm. And the body falls to the ground, and I was like, "Oh, oh, damn!" But that's that that's really great. But the other one is where the rebel guy passes the stuff through the door, and he's like, "Go, go, go!" And you can kind of see Vader through the small window in the back, and then you see the lightsaber come through the door, and you know that Vader has like stabbed him in the back, skewered and you're like, the trooper, I love it. skewered him. And you're like, wow, man, I wonder what that's going to look like. They're definitely, no, they're not going to show. Oh, wow, they open up the door. And not only do you see where the where the door opens on its own, but the lightsaber continues to cut through the door. You see all that, like, glowy metal stuff. But there's the trooper still impaled on his lightsaber. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, someone hand me a hanky. Oh, my God. I went right uh, home and said, "Honey, what's up?" <laughs> nothing like nothing like the, the power of the dark side to get things going. Oh, absolutely. Well, um, let's see, Peter, Peter Valbuena, Peter Valbuena, my buddy from yeah. Chicago, um, continues to post the obscure characters of the week. Basically, that's been taken over on Character Tuesday. I haven't been spending as much time on that. I've been developing content and stuff more. And uh, he does offer that every Tuesday um, in the G plus community. And recently what he's been doing is some rogue one characters. Mm-hmm. He's uh, the first one he did is, did was uh, Moroff, uh, which was Sar Jarrera's. I think it's guy Gorin, Gigorin, Gigorin, something. Anyway, he's a mercenary and he's a heavy weapon specialist. And I don't think he can. Yeah, and he and he can't really speak. Uh, basic can't speak basic, 
and he's got a little breather thing on too. He's like, he looks like a white Wookiee, kinda. What I really like was how you statted out his gun. Oh, I didn't stat that out. That's all Peter. Oh, really? Wait. Yep. Uh, no, it, that's right. The, the, no, I think we mixed. I think we've got our characters mixed up. I, I've got I, I, you. You statted out Powell Doc's gun. You know the one where he has. To oh, Fumba Boon is who I did. Oh, okay. I did Fumba Boon, which is actually a picture uh, that someone had posted. But anyway, real quick, um, let's see. Hacks and Delto, the Alliance uh, Colonel. Uh, tasks of overseeing the communications on Lee Haven 4, uh, who is also the right-hand man of uh, General Draven. And General Draven's a jerk. And I think I think he's got a, I think he looks Asianic. Can I say Asianic? Well, I don't care. I'm going to say it anyway, so there. Um, also, there's Biston, the, uh, what is it? I think it's Lakaru. La- 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 he's the, he's the, basically the guy on the side of the, the U-Wing that's shooting. And uh, I guess it was in the trailer, but not in the movie, where he's like shooting. And he's like, ah, 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 ah. they also call him Space Monkey. That's that's his uh, fanboy. Yeah, they've been calling it. That's the fanboy thing for him. And then there's uh, what is it? Paudak Draba Takat, which is uh, you see him when they're on Scarif. He's mm-hmm. one of the commandos. Uh, he's an amphiboid, amphiboid, amphibioid. Anyways, I don't know. He's he's a reptilian in Star Wars. Uh, he's an engineer who's turned into a howling commando. And apparently in his background, he was actually very kind of meek and mild. And then something happened and he joined, he became a commando. And now he's like all like Sergeant Fury, just. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he was also featured in the trailers as well. So that is going to do it for this episode of Shooting Lump Rats. Uh, I think we've gotten a lot taken care of, and we've decided to keep this all focused on the buffet this go around. But uh, I promise to try to organize better for the next one so that maybe we can find something to talk about from a GM standpoint, as well as uh, maybe a book. You know? Maybe we can do a yeah, book, we can do a movie or something like that. Yeah, maybe a book or maybe let's get this let's go around. Tell tell us a little bit more about your uh your campaign that's coming or your 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 adventure. You've got some stuff worked out for that. Yes. As a I will have another week under my belt from uh, or at least another week or two in uh my campaign that I'm running. So cool beaners. Well, Daniel, thank you so much. I, um, I'm, I'm glad that we're getting back into the hang of doing this. I'm really looking forward to doing some more. And uh, as we get back in the saddle and, and get a little more organization, we're going to continue to get better. Guys out there, you know how to get a hold of us. If not, Daniel's going to tell you here in just a second. But we are always looking for ideas and content or uh, answering some of your questions, whether it pertains to Star Wars in general, whether it's a mechanic, um, if you want some advice, so on and so forth. Uh, please get a hold of us. Daniel, how do they get a hold of us? Uh, just don't come to us asking where babies come from because then we'll start talking about Wookiees. Uh, you can find us on both of us on the Google Plus Hangout. Uh, we're also on the Breaker Pit and Shooting Malt Rats. Uh, SWD6 Podcast is our Twitter. And of course, you can find us on our blog, which is d6telecom.com slash shooting malt rats. There we go. So, on behalf of Shooting Malt Rats, I'm Daniel. I'm done. And may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Have a great weekend, guys.
Take her away. 